Welcome to the Signal Podcast. I'm Ethan Lang. I'm Dane Patterson. We're journalism students here at the University of King's College. And today we're bringing you stories from our audio bootcamp. We'll meet the province's and maybe the country's youngest distiller. And we'll hear about some university food hall workers who really dish up some TLC. And then the sweet sounds of a three-part harmony in a bar. That's all to come, but first... Kurds in Syria are facing a Turkish incursion following the withdrawal of U.S. forces from the area. This past Saturday, members of Halifax's Kurdish community held a rally to demand international action in the conflict. It was, I was there to cover the scene. Against the bleak October drizzle, a crowd of about 50 gathered outside the public gardens to rally for Syrian Kurds. Many were waving banners and flags as they chanted. Omar Aliso helped organize the rally. While we are protesting uh, the uh, Turkish brutal attack against the Kurds in Rojava. Aliso moved here in 1995 from his home in Rojava, the de facto Kurdish state in northeastern Syria. He wants to call attention to the situation there. Like, just we asking whole the international community to save the Kurds from a genocide is coming. Earlier this month, U.S. President Donald Trump announced he was removing all but a thousand American troops from Syria. Since then, Turkish forces have moved in. Turkish government, they attacked uh, Rojava. They killing our uh, uh, people there. Shaheen Ali is a Kurdish refugee from Kemishlo in Rojava. He fled to Turkey to escape the civil war. Then, four years ago, fled Turkey fearing persecution. We just uh, try to uh, ask people to stand for us. The rally's organizers say Canadians can do that by writing to their member of parliament. For King's Journalism, I'm Ethan Lyon. Meanwhile, another group of environmental demonstrators gathered in Halifax recently. They were protesting against a conference supporting open pit gold mining in Nova Scotia. Protesters believe new supplies of gold are not worth the damage to water sources. Michael Trombetta reports. Money for clean water, not for gold! The protest took place outside the airport hotel at this year's Nova Scotia Gold Show. It's a private event for people involved in gold investing or exploration. The media wasn't invited. Nova Scotia's vast untouched gold deposits have been attracting companies locally and internationally. But activists like Lydia Jenkinson think it's a bad idea. Well, it's highly toxic. Um, and once they dig up all the earth, I mean, and in Nova Scotia, we have lots of arsenic in the rock, naturally. So once that gets exposed um, to the air, we're going to have a lot of uh, leakage happening into our water system. Activists were led by Indigenous leaders in song and dance. Raymond Plourd is the Senior Wilderness Coordinator of the Ecology Action Centre. The government has not asked the public in any way, shape, or form if that's okay. There's been zero public consultation. Now, if you're doing other big resource-intensive or extractive industries, uh, projects like giant fish farms or clear-cutting, there's a public consultation component where the public gets to weigh in. In this case, there is none. Sean Kirby is with the Mining Association of Nova Scotia. In an emailed statement, he said that while his organization disagrees with protesters, they respect their right to express their views. In 2018, the government of Nova Scotia began the closing of former gold mining sites in Goldenville and Montague gold mines, which were found to be heavily contaminated with mercury and arsenic. Michael Trombetta, The Signal, Halifax.
You may be surprised to learn that tucked in the seaside community of Fox Point is a distillery. And even more surprising, the owner is only 19 years old. Lucy Harnish has more. The Black Harbor Distillery is along the scenic Oceanside route on the Aspatagan Peninsula, outside Hubbard's. Its owner is a commerce student at Dalhousie University. Jamie Landry used the support of the university's co-op program to open her business. She was only 18 when she filed the paperwork for her business and liquor licenses. I love it here. Like every summer I come here and like my sister and I would wait to come here in the summer and thought it was so fun, but I don't find there's enough to keep people down here. So I kind of, I knew right when I was a little girl, I was like, I want to open up a business and I want it to be in Hubbard's. Her goal is to get people from the city spending more time in this rural community. Landry wants to keep everything local. She buys her blueberries for her vodka in Lunenburg and her maple for her rum in New Ross. Lori Dale is a member of the local business association. She says Landry is the youngest person to ever open a business in the area of that magnitude. And she thinks that's good news. I'm assuming that because they're younger and with their ideas and what they're doing, that they probably will attract a younger demographic. Dale is excited for the new energy Landry's business will bring to the area. And Landry is excited to take her business full time. As soon as she graduates in two years. For The Signal, I'm Lucy Harnish. In Nova Scotia, you can't have a storm without storm chips, but chips alone aren't enough to fill the hungry bellies of students living on campus. The meal hall staff here at King's go the extra mile to make sure students are fed, even in the worst of weather. Adam McNamara has the story. Yeah, just setting up for a function over the lounge right now. Staff in the food hall are preparing for the evening rush. Judith Stubbert is sorting silverware and recalling last month's Hurricane Dorian. She was one of the food service workers who volunteered to stay at the school and ensure students were fed. Actually, a lot of kids didn't realize that we'd be opened, and like they were just so shocked and surprised. That means staff stayed overnight so they could have breakfast on the table the next morning. Andrea Lamb is the account manager at Chartwells, which operates food services at King's. Our first instinct is, who's going to be here for the students? Because somebody has to be here. Andrea says during the White Wan storm in 2004, they even helped out some local senior homes. I can't remember what the place is called, but it was like an old age home over in Mulgrave Park area because they had no power at the time, but we could still make hot food. Andrea says no one ever asked them to stay, but they consider themselves an essential service, even when the bridge is closed. I know there was an argument one time with the, with the bridge commissioners about letting us over because they were only letting over emergency vehicles. They we're like, no, 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 you've got to let us through, right? Mary McCory is a student at King's and relies on the food hall. I can't imagine during some of the crazy storms we get here, staying here and I guess constantly working, that's constantly being on the job for like what you said, three, five days, that's incredible. Judith says it's just what they do. Well, it's like a little family here. You want to participate. Judith and Andrea say the food hall staff has a rule and motto. Our rule was nobody goes hungry. So and that would be the same thing during storms. For The Signal, I'm Adam McNamara. For artists with a disability, their work can be an important way of expressing their unique perspectives. But finding money to make their art can be a challenge. A local charity is trying to change that. Nick Cantar has more. Anna Kwan is a local novelist, poet, filmmaker, and artist. She also identifies as a mixed-race, mobility-impaired madwoman. 
Quan uses the term mad to reclaim the word for people who experience mental illnesses. And Quan has chosen to turn her mental health experiences into art. My favorite is called Mental Illness Poems, which is basically about my experience in the mental hospital and, and being unwell and being better and that kind of thing. To produce her work, Quan gets support from an organization called JRG Society for the Arts. They're a charity that gives grants to artists with disabilities, up to $3,500. Quan says this group is a big help to artists who need some support. Well, everything is a help to artists with disabilities, many of whom don't either have regular work or who may be on disability or assistance. So, you know, anything, any amount is a huge bonus, plus the opportunity to exhibit and sell your work is wonderful. JRG gives grants to visual artists and filmmakers. Right now, they're working on a partnership with Halifax's Neptune Theatre to create a theatre grant. Rachel Bauer is the president of JRG. She wants to put artists in the spotlight. We're here to support any way we can, and we're trying to do that. And a little extra money can mean artists with disabilities also get to really explore their creativity. For The Signal, I'm Nick Cantar. Most people in Halifax have heard of The Big Sing. It's a bi-weekly community choir event where anyone can join in. It started three years ago, and it's weathered some changes. But as Stefan Sinclair Fortan tells us, it's still holding its tune. Hi. At Gus's Pub in the north end of Halifax, people are streaming through the doors for The Big Sing. Creator Seth Levinson is there to greet them. He's been doing this for three years. He says the show has changed in that time. Um, I'd say at the beginning it was like a big bang, you know. The enthusiasm when we were at Company House was through the roof. We had to, we had to turn people away. They moved to the Seahorse to accommodate the crowds, but attendance dropped. We started looking around and we found Gus's and we thought this was just a, a fit, a good marriage. On this night, the crowd is a bit smaller, but still enthusiastic. Jack Bennett is the star of the show. He says the format hasn't changed that much over the years. At its, at its roots, it's the same, right? Five dollars at the door, guaranteed good time, uh, singing out, making beautiful music with 150 strangers. He says they're still finding ways to keep it fresh. When it seems like we've exhausted all the ideas, another one kind of comes out of the woodwork and, uh, and it, people just can't get tired of it. In fact, they just love it. Yeah, we've been coming for two years and we're totally addicted. It's very relaxed. It sounds so cool and you go away and you're just singing it in your head for days afterwards and you can share it with all your friends and I love it. I'm coming out of my cage and I've been doing just A catchy chorus in three-part harmony. The crowd is belting it out. And if that's any indication, then Seth and Jack will have no trouble filling this room for years to come. For The Signal, I'm Stefan Sinclair Forte. And that marks the end of our audio boot camp. This has been The Signal, keeping your finger firmly pressed on the pulse of the peninsula. I'm Ethan Lang. And I'm Dane Patterson. Have an absolutely smashing day.